listening to Soul Knox Podcast. And this is the uh, Patreon, um, episode two of The Blood is the Life, which is my uh, journey through Dracula, uh, the movies primarily. Um, but this is kind of the, I did an introduction episode, um, which I released um, both on Patreon and on the main feed. And uh, this episode is going up on the main feed as well. Um, this is technic- technically the very first like real true episode of this. And after this one, the rest is going to be on Patreon exclusively. So, you know, if you're interested in uh, continuing on this journey with me and uh, whoever else I get to to um, join me on, the, on, the, on it as I go forward... Well then, uh, yeah, go and uh, go on to patreon.com forward slash soul knocks podcast. And for $2 a month, you can uh, join. And uh, I have a bunch of other stuff coming up as well. But um, like I said, this is the first true episode. And this episode I am doing with my one of my uh, good friend, Mike Hill. Um, you know, main man behind the band Tombs as well as... Uh, Everything went black podcast and necromaniacs. And um Mike and I did this talking about Dracula the novel. And I guess it's kind of an an informal conversation about it. We didn't really get into like say like beat by beat or something, which would be a lot more uh difficult or in depth to do. But basically we talked about the novel, we talked a lot about differences between the novel and the movie versions that are to follow. Um talked a little bit about some of the movie versions as well. And um, whatnot, and it was a fun conversation. We did it after we recorded our uh, our um, our episode about uh, for about sticks. So <laughs> it was a two for one that night. Um, but yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. This episode is also going out. Um, funny enough, on the anniversary of the publication date of the novel. So that's pretty cool. It was not planned this way, um, but. Uh, yeah, I was planning on getting it out tonight, and then uh, earlier today I look and I see that uh, everybody's posting about it's World Dracula Day, the day that Dracula was, was first published in nineteen, uh, sorry, eighteen ninety seven. So that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, uh, very appropriate. It's funny how those kind of things uh, happen like that, where you'll just kind of accidentally like some you fall like. You release something and it happens to be the anniversary of it. Um, you know, those are the kind of synchronicities that exist in the world, right? So that's what's going on. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed the Patreon. And like I said, for everybody on the main feed who's checking this out and wants to continue with uh, this um, episode series, go on patreon.com forward slash Soul Knox podcast. The next episode of this series is going to be about Nosferatu from 1922. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and some of these bonus episodes I'll have, um, I guess, um, some of them I might not. It just depends on if I can find somebody to talk about it or not. So, yep. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and hail Satan. Blood ever 
Thanks for coming on, Mike. It's going to be the first uh, uh, kind of... Well, I did an introduction for the series, but this is like the first official episode for the uh, Patreon uh, Vampire series or Dracula series. So Awesome. Yeah, Dracula is uh, you know, definitely a classic uh, character in, in horror in general. Yeah, and I, I know you're, you're a fan of Dracula. I, I remember you had just gotten like a... You just read it like last year and... Yeah, well... Yeah. I got a couple of different versions of Dracula, but uh, there was something really cool about that one with the painted cover and uh, that yellow, you know, background. It caught my eye and it prompted me to reread the story at some point last year. Well, it's funny with the yellow background because the original um, first edition of Dracula was it was a yellow hardcover with just Dracula and red on it. Have you ever seen a picture of that? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, so it's kind of funny that your edition. That you got the penguin one and was like also yellow. Maybe that's what resonated with me about it was like maybe on some level I recognized it, you know, from like a, a photograph of the original, and that's why I prompted me to buy it because I do have like I don't know, like three or I have like I think four four copies, four versions of Dracula on my bookshelf. Yeah, I do too. I have like a I have like a old paperback. I have like a trade paperback, like like the Barnes and Noble edition. Um, right i have a few others i want to get the uh the one with the illustrations from edward gory though they do. i have that one you have that one yeah yeah that's really cool that's a good one yeah la i'm a big fan of edward gory i have all I have like the amphigory collections you know yep. yeah. yeah those are great but yeah i figured um like this episode i'm going to put out so people everyone can listen to it and then the rest of the series are going to be purely patreon you know I was like, you know, give people an idea of what what what's going on. So, <laughs> sure. the um, but yeah, I figured uh, yeah, talk about Dracula. I mean, Dracula came out was it a nineteen? Was it eighteen ninety seven? I think. Pretty sure. 
Yeah, it was, some, yeah, it was significantly later than uh, Frankenstein. Like Frank, Frankenstein was like 1818 or something. I think the first draft of uh, Frankenstein came out, and this is much later in the century. Yeah, let's see. Novel um, Dracula was, yeah, 1897. So obviously Dracula set up like the most famous type of vampire. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows who Dracula is, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. But, what people uh, might not be aware of, though, is how the story is actually told. That's like a big departure from how I think it's presented in the films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, you know, every, most people are familiar with the no movie. I don't know if everybody's read the novel. And they, uh, it's it's the whole novel is put together in like this epistolary format. So it's like the first section is Jonathan Harker's like like um diary and then you move into where you got like mina mina's uh harker's uh diary or like john stewart's diary and or like letters to people or like you know clippings out of newspapers stuff like that um i think it's interesting with that type of format when uh, my most because their last time last um time like i didn't read it i actually listened to a uh audible version of it and the audible one had different people narrating each one of the different narrators so you had like okay um i forget the uh, different voices then yeah that's kind of cool yeah exactly and it had um tim curry do the vocal voice for uh for van helsing when van helsing was writing which is pretty good he did a good job and so it was pretty cool that was cool part about that because you could tell who you could tell who is narrating who's perspective it was by the voice you know which is pretty cool and um one thing that i realized on that listen through was that um and also i think it was kind of cool like listening to it because you kind of get through it a little bit faster and so when you get through it a little bit faster you kind of like notice certain things and maybe you might not notice if like you're reading and it's taking you a few months to read it or something you know is that um i noticed that the way that the story is told, you start to realize that, oh, okay, so these things are happening in this part, and then later on, it has relationship to stuff that we find out that's happening later on. Like, like the whole, there's like a kind of like a, like um, like a good example would be, um, you'll you realize that certain things that Renfield's doing are relating to stuff that Draco's doing, which they kind of figure out, but at first, like it's kind of like you see yeah, that happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, one thing I have to say about the novel is that it's it's a it's a slog kind of to get through it. You know what I mean? It's um, it's uh, I you know I mean I enjoy it. Obviously, I've read it a number of times, but um, each time I've had to kind of steal myself to get through it because it's like definitely um, the way it's written is like cumbersome at times. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Like that's always been. It's funny because actually listening to it helped me get through it the best because that's always been one of my issues when I read it is that I always had this point where sometimes like particularly in the middle, yeah, where your attention starts to waver a little bit, you know. But I mean, when you listen to it, you're able to just kind of like power through, you know what I mean? Like, sure. yeah, I might try that out actually next time. I might try to do the audio version of it, see how I, see how it plays out with me, you know. Yeah, if you check out the Audible one, actually comes with Audible, so you don't have to pay for it except for your audible account you know what i mean like so which is cool you know it's included they have one for frankenstein as well that i want to listen to 
But uh, it's funny that I, I actually think Frankenstein is probably the better written of the two characters. Really? Like, yeah, that might that might be a controversial opinion. I think the novel Frankenstein. Well, Frankenstein. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, probably like uh, Dracula is a little bit more cumbersome to get through. I don't know. Like Frankenstein, I sometimes have I sometimes struggle a little bit myself when I'm reading it, but but i can see that like i think um the big difference like one difference between frankenstein and dracula i see for sure though is frankenstein is definitely still much very much in the um wheelhouse of like the old school gothic novels like you know have you ever read like the monk by by uh, matthew lewis no i haven't actually like that one has like you have their main storyline and then you have like this part where it spins off onto this like elaborate gothic like fantasy section in the middle like it's it's like peculiar you know what i mean but it's it's cool like it's a cool story or whatever about but it kind of reminds me of in frankenstein when he's like the the monster is like hiding by the people's house and he's like listening to everything that's going on with them and it's like this actual like elaborate like oh she ran away and you know all that stuff like that reminds me a lot of like a lot of gothic literature like where it has like an element in it you know (laughs) sure but yeah, I would say Dracula, like, you get a little wearisome with, like, the uh, Victorian, like, hyper, like, everything's, like, um, it's very, very, like, oh, like, I'm trying to think how, like, the kind of language sometimes is a little bit, a little bit much, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's all dated. It's all, sometimes it's, like, definitely, you know, like, you struggle with it sometimes because of just how, how dated it is and how old the texts are, you know? Yeah, I would say the best part of Dracula is probably the the first section with Jonathan Harker's diary, which in a lot of ways stands on its own. Like it's so powerful, you know. Some of my favorite scenes are in that too, like like the um, you know, with with just him being in Transylvania, like it's creepy, you know. You you're starting to understand like who Dracula is, you know, his wife, the wives, you know, like um, that's definitely more atmospheric, you know, and the whole approach it to the castle and all that stuff is like interesting and Harker not really understanding what's going on at first. And then the grim realization that he's a, uh, you know, basically a prisoner there, you know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I want to see that the encounter with the wives and that is definitely like very sexy for, for a Victorian novel. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> I must have definitely raised some eyebrows at the time for sure. <laughs> Yeah, my my favorite version of that in the movies is the Coppola one, obviously with Monica Bellucci and everything. You know what I mean? Oh, dude. Yeah, I was just gonna say that in in the uh, you know Bram Stoker's Dracula is like you have like one of the most beautiful women in the world in the in the you know, in that in that part of it. Yeah, yeah, like it's just like that's what that's one of those like great scenes of a film right there. <laughs> See, um, yeah, well, it's funny too, like. That that movie is actually the only movie that had like um like later on you have like Lucy with like all of her suitors. That's the only one that has like Quincy Morris. Like th- th- like he's never been in any other movie version of Dracula, like except for that one. Like that's the only one where you have all three of her suitors, you know what I mean? Like Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're actually it's come to think of it, you're right about that. The American guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like that and I watched uh, some doc because I just got the Blu ray of that movie. And um, Francis Ford Coppola was talking about that in the in 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 the extras on it. And he's like, he's like, I don't think there's been another 
movie version with Quincy Morrison. Like you know, I, I I hate to say it, but I think the Coppola one might be my second favorite uh, Dracula. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think my that's definitely uh, my up there as far as like even though it's not faithful to the to the book, it's still as far as like a film goes. It's like one of my I, I watch that I return to that movie a lot. The Coppola one. Yeah, the Coppola one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think it's pretty good. I mean, yeah. What Arthur Holmwood also is almost in. I don't think he's in any of the other. He's very few adaptations. They usually reduce down to just like Stewart or something. You know what I mean? Like in most movies. So I think it's interesting that 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 one is even though they change a lot, like with the whole love story. Yes. It's still pretty close because because here's the thing. When I was reading the last time, I get really struck by the fact that Dracula is a monster in the book. You know what I mean? Yes. He's not. He's not. He's not nice, you know. He's an asshole. He's fucking, you know. They like, they like, go through and get his boxes. Where he's like, you know, I'm gonna go and fucking feed on Mina, like while, while John Harker is like in the same bed. You know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah. he's it's yeah, not, he's, he's spirited, definitely. Yeah, he's not. He's not like um. He's not like a, a romantic anti-hero in a novel, I don't think. You know what I mean? <laughs> Interesting how in the films they did that, though. Like, they made him this kind of, like, suave, like, guy, like, you know, like, very, very much, almost like, like you said, like an anti-hero. And in the novel, he's just pure evil for the most part, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, I like that he also became a vampire because he went to the Skullamance. So he went to, like, the devil's... Um, you know, he's like a he's like a sorcerer and an alchemist and all those kinds of stuff. He went to like the devil's like um sorcerer school basically to Scalamance and yeah. became a vampire that way, you know, which I think is pretty interesting. <laughs> it, that's like in, in the Coppola version, it's like it it's definitely more of like a romantic twist on how he became a vampire, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh yeah, it's I don't know. It's I like it's like equal with me. Like I, I enjoy them separately, I guess. Like I do appreciate him as more of like this evil, you know, the the literary version where he's more of a monster. But I also like him as this kind of like romantic antihero too, like in the films. I think it works better in the films maybe, you know. Yeah, I like both as well. You know, like I think they both work like like with like with um Coppola's Dracula like I think it works cuz in its own way it adds like another dimension if you know that that whole love story element that that seems to be more like the mummy you know like it seems to be taking from the mummy a little bit like um the original uh boris karloff mummy movie uh with like this kind of reincarnation of his lost love and all those kinds of stuff you know what i mean like yeah definitely and i feel like i feel like it's interesting in that one because you have this kind of um dichotomy in his character where he's like you know he is evil but then he's also got this element that's tied to his humanity in a way you know I like that. I mean, I also like it when they're a monster, like in, you know, Max Shrek and Nosferatu or whatever, which is probably maybe a little bit closer to the book in a way, you know? <laughs> That's the thing, man. Like Nosferatu, um, Count Orlock is probably, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, obviously I saw like, you know, the romantic version of Dracula first, you know, when I was a kid. Probably, but probably I saw the, the Hammer version. Of Dracula, the you know the Christopher Lee version of him before I actually saw the Bela Lugosi version of the movie, and um, so I associated 
him as being this kind of like smooth, urbane sort of guy, you know. And then much later, I saw the Nosferatu, the two Nosferatu, Nosferatu films, you know, the original, uh, the Murnau version, and then later the Herzog version. And I'm like, man, this is like, and this is still before I actually read the book. This is like a, may, a way grittier version of like a more evil version of the vampire Dracula. And then I read the book and then I realized that Orlock is probably closer to what the intention that Stoker's intention for Dracula was, you know? Yeah. Even more so than say Klaus Kinski's version of that figure in the 1979 one. Cause that one, he seems almost kind of, he seems like, lonely and like kind of pathetic at times you know what i mean like he's yeah. like tired of being in his like castle alone he wants to go he's kind of kind of seems like he's going out to go see if he can find something new you know what i mean like <laughs> he seems to be fixed he gets fixated on isabella johnny his carrot and like one which is understandable I, you know <laughs> we get fixated on isabella johnny definitely yeah, definitely. So, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to go there and try to get her, you know what I mean? Like, make her like my bride. You know, it's a little bit different. Like, he's almost like he's trying to. I mean, that's in the original Nosferatu somewhat, you know, I think. But I feel like the old figure of Warlock in the ni 1922 version is more. Uh, a little bit more like just like he's a little bit more evil, less like, uh, I guess, um because even yeah, 1979 one, he's a little bit more. You feel kind of, you can kind of understand where he's coming from, like this unhuman, like loneliness and stuff like that. You know, is like longing for like a companion. You know, like so. It's, it's I think more, it's more, um, he's more malevolent in the in the original Nosferatu, like the the Murnau uh, Max Shrek version of of uh, Orlock, definitely. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, like um. Yeah, I think um, I actually think Christopher Lee, in a way, even though he is more of that suave version of Dracula, he does pull off the feral, like monstrous side very well as as well. You know what I mean? There's that one particular scene. That I think that that's where you know he transforms. You know, he's got the blood around his mouth, and there's like a, that iconic shot of him with his face, and he's all like intense looking, and you know, he looks scary and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, like his bloodshot eyes, which I think, I mean, this that might actually seem closer to the novel in a way because the novel he is, he's like a sociopath. He's able to like wine and dine people when he wants to, but then he's also like petty and evil at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> novel, I think he has a mustache too, doesn't he? He has a mustache when he first sees him, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he has it later on, but he has it. Yeah, like in the in the castle, he has a mustache. I guess the uh, Christopher Lee always wanted to do that, but they wouldn't let him. So, because he wanted to be as close to the book as possible. And there is a, uh, I think it's um, Jess Franco's Dracula came out that where Christopher Lee was able to finally do his like mustache thing and everything. I haven't seen that one in ages, man. So I should revisit that. Yeah, I don't. I barely remember that movie, but I remember the image of. Christopher Lee as Dracula with like his mustache and Christopher Lee also did something where he played Vlad Tepesh like as well like I've seen pictures that? of that I don't think I saw that I think it was in like a documentary or something where maybe it was in search of Dracula maybe I can't remember but yeah so it's where he's like in that Vlad Tepesh like 
makeup and stuff, you know. <laughs> the um of course like you know, there's a lot of uh people fighting over whether or not Dracula is based off of Vlad Tepes like or not, you know, but like I mean, maybe it could be there's like there's certain aspects of what he like obviously they know that Bram Stoker didn't know a lot. He might have just heard something about Vlad Tepes and put some of that into the the novel because the novel is a little bit uh, you know it's obviously he's not exactly Vlad Tepes even though they're both Dracula you know what I mean like but there's parts of it where they uh, it seems like he could be you know I don't know I always liked that book though in search of Dracula I was like thought that was an interesting book I actually have a copy of that but I haven't read it yet it's a cool book yeah that was like one of my favorites when I was a kid I had, and um I got the um I had like an old, I have an old paperback one, but then um, a few years ago I found the Edward Gorey cover of In Search of Dracula, so which is oh, obviously pretty cool to have, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to think. Yeah, the novel, like I feel like they always cut them down, cut it down for the movies. You have like, uh, um. I mean, like the Dracula, the Bela Lugosi one is probably the most cut down because it's, I mean, well, actually, no, the most cut down movie version is the Frank Langella one. Because that one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we're, yeah. <laughs> I've only seen that like maybe once or twice, actually, that version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. That one That one doesn't have, they don't even have the Transylvania part at the beginning. It just starts in Whitby. I haven't seen that one in ages. It's kind of a trip seeing Frank Langella. It's funny. Um, I guess nineteen seventy nine you had Frank Langella's Dracula, you had Nosferatu the Vampire, and then you had um, Love at First Bite. <laughs> all came out. Love at First Bite was the big hit out of all three of those. <laughs> it's so the um, but yeah, um. What else? I think like with Dracula, like the the other thing that's interesting about the novel is I think that like Mina Murray or Mina Harker is a really interesting character in the novel because she's really like the linchpin of everything. You know, if it wasn't for her, they they wouldn't have ever been able to, to do anything about Dracula. And I, I think. <laughs> yeah, Harker's involvement with her, you know, Dracula's like, you know, desire for her. And uh, ultimately, the ending—you know—she's like a key member, a key part of like Dracula's demise, actually. Yeah, and I mean, she's the one who also like piped up everybody's journals, correlated everything. Like, literally, she she put everything together. And I, then I think probably one of the dumbest parts of the book that's kind of annoying is when they're like, "Now she will have no more part in this," and all this stuff like that. And then they try to the guys take her. over, yeah. men take over. Yeah, they're like, let the men, yeah, the men take over. Like, she's too weak for this. But then that's when Dracula attacks, you know? <laughs> and they would not they would have known that he was attacking if they were all still communicating with each other, you know? I wonder if that was, like, some kind of, like, left-handed commentary on, uh, you know, on the, the male-dominated... I don't know if that was even a thing back then to consider things being any different. Because once she went into the background is when their plan almost fails, you know? Yeah. Well, I actually think it might be. I think, um, I mean, cause you gotta think Bram Stoker was married to, um, 
his wife was like, I can't remember uh, what was her name, Florence Stoker. She was like apparently a very like strong-willed woman. You know what I mean? Like she was like, and there's a lot of this whole idea of like the new woman who's like, you know, not going to take any shit and stuff like that, which is like kind of being talked about in the novel. I almost feel like that isn't a big element of maybe what he's doing. Like maybe he is like kind of being like, see, look like they wouldn't have gotten anywhere without the woman. You know what I mean? And when they try to exclude her, then bad things happen. You know, like I feel like that is something that he's trying to say in there, you know? Think about what we're talking about right now is a criticism that a lot of people have about the novel is that it has this kind of like, you know, patriarchal vibe to it because, you know, the men take over, you know, but I, I tend, you know, I, I heard that read about it once and I, I kind of was thinking, I think maybe Stoker was like, yeah, he's using that as a vehicle to kind of comment on that. You know, that was my, my first impression of that too, you know? Yeah, that's definitely my impression. I think, I think people who see it, see the novel as patriarchal in that way are probably not really like, they're not, they're not, they're not really quite understanding the point of what, what's, because like, what happens when the patriarch takes over, bad things happen, you know, like. It almost <laughs> fails, the whole plan almost falls apart, really, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand is they, that um, there's a certain type of commentary and, uh, and almost satire and certain things that if you just do a surface read, you can see it one way, but then actual meaning is, is more apparent if you actually think about it, you know, which I, I've always felt like, I, yeah, I think it's annoying when they do that, obviously, but I think Stoker knows it's annoying too. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, I think he's very aware of that fact. I don't think he's talk, trying, I mean, um, I don't, I mean, in general, most of his stories like I, that I've read, I never, it's, they're usually, they almost always have like these strong female characters and stuff in them. So, which I think is interesting. Of course, his final novel. Um, uh, fuck, what's that one? Um, about the the prince, that, like it has like the the lair of the white worm. That novel is not very good, <laughs> but that does have a strong female characters in it. <laughs> the movie is pretty cool. Yeah, the movie's great. The one uh, with um, is it John Borman did that? I think and Ken Russell. Ken Russell, that's right. Yeah, that movie's Russell, great. Yeah, yeah. Dude, Ken Russell in general is great, man. Like the, the Devils, you know, like Altered States, like all that stuff's pretty cool. One movie of his that I really like that's kind of relevant to what we're talking about is Gothic, where you know. Oh yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, I like that one as well. No, a lot of people don't like it because it's very, very heightened. You know what I mean? But I think it's great, and it's dealing with the heart of the creation of horror, basically. You know, where yeah. Frankenstein and. The vampire were created and everything. <laughs> yeah, I always feel like that's an underrated, underrated Ken Russell movie. Man, the Devils. Like, I know there's a cut of that film that has all the scenes in it, and that's not surfaced anywhere. There's like some really intense, like anti-Christian stuff in there, which like has been subjugated somewhere and is never going to see the light of day. The fucked up part is that there is a which I learned from the evolution horror episode about the devils, that there is a full cut of it. They have a cut of the movie. They found all the footage um, and everything. And, um, and luckily Ken Russell was able to see the restored cut before he died. But um, what happened, what's happened is that Warner brothers America has basically said that they're never going to let it be released. 
essentially Warner Brothers Britain is is fine with being released, but but because Warner Brothers America has apparently just decided that this movie's unacceptable and never get released, that it's it's just like essentially being. I mean, the cut exists. They, you know, people seen it. You know what I mean? Like the footage is out there. Like, but it's yeah, it's like Warner Brothers America or whatever. Because um, I guess the guy who was running the company when the movie came out essentially just hated it and like said that it's never get released as long as he's alive and they like say well he's he's dead now but it's warner brothers still is like just like sitting on it i think it's warner brothers yeah sorry i must have missed that episode of evolution of horror i thought i'd listen to all of them but maybe i missed that one but if is so is there like a a uk like blu-ray of this or something like that that you can buy with an, and play with your all region player no, because because the American company is blocking it. They can't release it in Britain either. So there there is, I guess, like uh, a version that BFI is releasing that has a documentary with the extra footage. Though, so you can probably you can pick that up. Uh, I think at some point soon. I think, but yeah, like the it's fucked up, dude. Like you know, like this kind of like puritanical like. Uh, evangelical christian thing like here in this country keep keeping a movie like censored essentially you know what i mean like it's ridiculous destroy all, destroy yeah. all the christians <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's fucked up and um yeah uh yeah evolution order there's episode of the devils there's an uh, interview with the guy who helped find all that footage so he's like um some british um I forget what his name is. He, I think he's the same guy you helped uh, find the footage for the Exorcist extended cut as well. I'm going to look it up tonight, actually. Maybe I could listen to part of it at least before I go to sleep. Yeah, and I think there's a part of it, too, where they're talking with a guy from the censorship board or whatever. Like, I mean, they basically, Britain was ready to go. Like, the censorship board was, like, okay with the movie, as with the new cut and everything. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as Dracula, the novel, is there anything else that we to touch upon, you think, for preparation for getting into all these movies I'm going to be doing? The ending and the way that they dispatch Dracula at the end of the novel is very, it's almost like anticlimactic how they kill him, you know? Yeah, it really is. Like, He's in the no yeah, in the novel he's like um they get almost to his castle, he's just in his box and then I think uh Harker like cuts his heart out or something with a knife or something, right? That's and that's it. Like they just like basically stab him and he dies. It's not like you know, it's like this you know, let's let's be real. Like it's a long novel, right? It, it at times it's very cumbersome. And then they wrap it up at the end, like really quickly, like unceremoniously, just like dispatch Dracula, you know, without any fanfare. You know, it's kind of like a anticlimax in some ways. Yeah, there's like no fight or nothing, you know. And I can see why, like with the with the Coppola movie, adding that kind of love story element to it, kind of gave that ending a little bit more of a of a of a some weight, though, but. Thing about that movie is that I always feel bad for Mina at the end because it's like you know you found this like soulmate, love your life, and you guys could have been together like literally forever as vampires, but nope. No, nah. she ends up with that dud Parker. <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. Because Har- Harker in that movie, you know, I mean, I mean, I love Keanu Reeves, but he doesn't, he's, he's just kind of flat in that movie. And it's like, in the book, he's a lot more like um, interesting as a character, you know, but in the, in that movie, he's pretty, he's pretty, pretty flat, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or not. I just think, you know, I mean, I love Keanu Reeves too, but like he was definitely like maybe a little bit miscast in you that know, film. You know, who was originally supposed to be that character in the movie it was Johnny Depp. Oh man, dude, that would have been, he would have been a totally different story with him. Yeah. So it was supposed to, because Johnny Depp and Winona were together at the time. And Johnny Depp was. Yeah, I got to be honest. I kind of, I kind of feel like even Winona Ryder was miscast as, as Mina. I don't know. Like they should have got some European actress to play Mina's part. The problem was that she was the reason why the movie got made. Really? Yeah, because she knew uh, the guy who wrote the screenplay and, um, and uh she she was like oh i want to play mina in this movie and she i think coppola is her godfather or whatever right and oh, yeah that's right yeah and yeah. and okay. she's like she was like okay do you um she had him read the screenplay to see if it was a good part for her and stuff like that and he was like not only do i want you to be in a movie but uh i want to make it i want to make this movie basically so Right. Yeah. So the whole reason why the movie got made is because Wayne and Ryder, basically. <laughs> so, love a writer. I mean, who doesn't? You know what I mean? But it, I, there's some, there's some, her and Keanu Reeves, I thought were miscast in that film, but whatever. I still love the movie, though. But it's like, you know, I still, it's fine. But like, you know, I would, if my, if I had my way, I would have probably cast some European actress to play Mina. Yeah. Like a British actress or something. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the um, yeah the the novel just kind of ends, which is unfortunate. You know, that's all, that is the downside of the novel. Like the the downsides of the novel is that it's yeah, it's long. It kind of gets a little cumbersome as you go through. Uh, it kind of picks up again towards the end, but then it just kind of ends. You know, like because you have this kind of chase scene and everything, which is pretty exciting at the end. And then, but unfortunately, you know, you kind of expect it, there's going to be a battle. With Dracula, but there's not, you know, it's like, yeah, the, the pacing's kind of weird in the book too, you know, and um, you know, and, and I don't know if that's like the fact that it was written so long ago and things the way like we're used to reading stories is different now, but and then the anticlimactic ending is my, you know, the only things I think that are kind of like, I would say minor issues with the the, the novel, you know, yeah, I think in the middle part, my favorite stuff is with um. Stewart and and the stuff of Renfield, you know, like and the kind of like there's a kind of a creeping element, sort of, and the stuff of with Lucy, like you know, getting her blood drained and then becoming the blue for lady and stuff, like all that's pretty creepy in the novel, you know. Yeah, absolutely, that was cool. A lot of times they gloss over that in film too. Yeah, yeah, the blue for lady thing. I I think it's funny in um in uh universal one because they kind of mention it but then they i mean as far as we know by the end of the movie she mina or lucy's still out there uh killing babies because they don't they don't say they don't they don't even talk about like they just talk they talk about the blue for lady but then it's just kind of like dropped you know what i mean i think it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean that was my introduction to dracula was the universal movie my dad showed that to me when i was like four years old so yeah, I remember hearing that on your the episode you did, and I was like, "That's kind of cool, man." Though, like, that would be the beginning, you know. And, and like, I I saw them all weird because, like, I was saying earlier that I saw the um the Hammer version with 
Christopher Lee first, you know, because there was all there were several Dracula films that they made. Then I saw the Universal after that, um, just because I was like, oh, Dracula, you know, because I was a kid, you know, I didn't, you know, I, my parents didn't. Uh, my mom was really is really into horror, like she still loves horror movies, and um, they just were more casual about it, you know. They it wasn't like, oh, here, here's the, you know, the, they didn't guide me through it at all. They were just like, you know. You're, you're, it's cool you can, that you can watch horror movies. You know, we don't, we don't have a problem with that. You know, as a young kid, right? Yeah, but it wasn't like, yeah, directed the. Um, I mean, when you were a kid too, probably they had all like Hammer was more on TV, right? Like the Hammer oh, yeah. movies, yeah. Yeah, big yep. yeah, pretty much every Saturday. Um, you know, they had like uh, out here, like in the tri-state area, they had like Channel Five, Channel Nine, and Channel Eleven on you know terrestrial television was like the channels that had all the horror stuff on it like on some the weekends there'd be like chiller theater would be on like at 11 and i think that might have been on channel 11 you know or nine or something like that and in the afternoon i remember being a kid and watching like several hammer horror films like in a row like on a saturday afternoon and, I, and that's how I, I got into indoctrinated to the you know, because they had they had a Frankenstein, they had Dracula, you know, they had a Wolfman. Actually, the Hammer, Curse of the Werewolf is like one of my favorite werewolf movies, actually. Yeah, I think you guys covered that for Necromaniacs, too, a while back. We did, we did. Yeah. It's, a, it's a novel approach to a werewolf, too. It's not like you're, when you think of, you know, typical werewolf stories, it's a different take on the werewolf in that one, too. Yeah, that's a good one. That's one I still need to, uh, need to get the, DV, the Blu-ray of that. Yeah, I love that movie, though, like, um, like I think um, Hammer as a whole is great. It's funny with Hammer though. Like by the '90s when I grew up, um, ha it was not. You didn't. Hammer was not on TV. You know what I mean? Like like I barely like Hammer was something that I read about in a book, and I was like, "This looks cool." Like, where can I watch these? And it's like almost impossible to find until like maybe the D the DVD era. You could finally like start tracking down that. You know, so it was always like it was like that. That holy, that kind of like missions that I had, like from a kid. Oh yeah, I'm gonna watch yeah. all these Hammer movies. You know what I mean? Because they were kind of like all I knew about them was pictures and the movie. And but I mean, they they lived up to it because I love all those movies. Dude, I feel fortunate to have seen those on TV, like in such a free, you know, way. Like, uh, yeah, they were just on television, you know, and they had like this killer, like you know. They're pretty, you know. They had the, they didn't hold back on the violence, and there was like beautiful women in it, and just very much like part of my like early formulation of stuff that I started gravitating to towards. You know, was that that era of filmmaking? You know, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. You know, I, I, I love both of those guys. Christopher Lee, especially. You know, I mean, he's just like such a presence. You know, like on the screen. You know. Yeah, I mean Christopher Lee. I mean barely says anything as Dracula in his movies, and it doesn't matter because he's so strong of of a presence that you don't need. He doesn't even need to say much. You know, he's just like powerful. You know, like his energy, and I mean he's great in everything. Be a Wicker Man, and uh, one of my favorite, oh, yeah, my favorite things that he did is the Devil Rides Out. Like as a he's playing okay. the the good guy in that one, which is great. <laughs> yeah, there's that movie, uh, uh, Deathline. That they, that we covered it on Necromaniacs. It's um, AKA Dead Meat. It was like uh, about these cannibals that live in the in the the tube system, 
and uh christopher lee is like credited in that movie like he's given like a, a main starring role but he's only in the movie for like five minutes or something like that he has like a it's almost like his scene was like this insert so they can mention say that he's in the movie right so you know donald so pleasance is in it you know and it's like but yeah he shows up but just dominates and then leaves it's <laughs> gone yeah he, does, he only needs to be in a movie for a few minutes and he's he takes it over <laughs> basically yeah yeah like uh, i love him of uh, yeah like for me my the horror people uh, is christopher lee um peter cushing like you said and vincent price i think that's like oh yeah vincent price definitely those are my guys like you know <laughs> yeah the vincent price those those corman um oh quote-unquote adaptations you know like masquerade death like a fall of the house of usher and uh you know like the pit the pendulum I, I saw those on tv too man those were like but they weren't they were like during during the week i remember when i was like in grade school or something there'd be like a four o'clock movie you know, like on television or like some network and uh i remember when I, i'd come home from school in time to catch it and they would show all those corman poe movies like from monday through friday and i watched all of them like all week long that's awesome. Yeah, I love the love those Corman movies. I, I I saw those when I was a kid, and uh, yeah, like, oh, my dad was a big fan. He loved Vincent Price. Like he saw Vincent Price. Um, like his last uh, time he went, he went on like these like tours where he did these one man shows. I think well, often you do them as Edgar Allan Poe, kind of like that um, uh, that thing that what's his name did um, Jeffrey Combs did, you know, yes. and uh, I think that. Uh, that was my dad saw him do this one man show in this old like historic like uh, theater and around here in Colorado like before he died. She always was happy about that, you know. And um, sure. so I grew up with all the Vincent Price like stuff. I always watched those, and I still love those. Mask of Red Death's my favorite out of those ones. That's also probably one of my favorite Poe stories. Actually, is Mask of Red Death, and um, yeah, Vincent Price was he was great in uh, Witchfinder General too. Yeah, that movie's brutal as fuck. <laughs> oh, dude, that that's like a nihilistic film, man. You know, that's that's great. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, that's a hard one to to watch sometimes. <laughs> Definitely, it's brutal for sure. Yeah, you get to watch some women get tortured <laughs> and burned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, thanks for coming on and uh, doing the, kicking us off. Oh, dude, thanks though. for having me, man. Anytime, you know, anytime. And thanks for, you know, collaborating on the the Wagner stuff that we're doing too, man. That's killer that we're doing it on, on both of our podcasts and, you know, hopefully cast a wider net for that stuff too, you know? Yeah, I hope so. And uh, I think that, I think it's an awesome idea kind of going back and forth like we're doing for the Wagner stuff. And, and you know, it's always great, like kind of collaborating on these different episodes for different things, so. Yeah, but, totally, man. Awesome, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, man. Anytime. I'll, I'll yeah, let me know if you want me to come back and talk about some other stuff. You know. Yeah, definitely. I'll, yeah, whenever you want to, basically. You know, just let me know. <laughs> right on. All right. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Thank you.